How's it going, everyone? Welcome to the Third Decade Podcast. I'm Scott Bennett. And I'm Nikita Wolf. And today we're going to do a real brief overview of life insurance. Uh, we're going to stay really high level in hopes of answering some of the questions that we get quite often from, from participants of the program and, and questions that we've seen some confusion around life insurance. And we say that knowing that insurance can get pretty confusing. And there are actually quite a lot of variations and factors going into policies. So with that in mind, I I do think it will be helpful to keep it pretty high level. If you have some more in-depth questions, I think this will be a a good starting point for for a lot of people to see. So Scott, I really wanted to start off the episode just at the highest level, basic question of being, what is the difference between term and whole? I feel like you see both being offered. I know I've, I have a few friends who seem like they're enrolled in something that's not exactly term life insurance, but I'm not no. sure if it's whole. So I'd, I'd love to know kind of the difference between the two of those. Yeah, it's a it's a really good question and, and really important to start. Um, quick note, there are also additional components and options when it comes to whole life policies. Um, like universal whole life and variable whole life policies. But we're going to stick to separating term from whole in this episode mostly. Those other ones can get pretty complex and uh, pretty in the weeds. We're, we're going to keep it high level. If you find yourself interested or think or you've been approached or thinking about a universal whole life policy or a variable whole life policy, Um, as opposed to just traditional whole life or term insurance. It's probably a good idea to seek out the the advice of a fee-only financial planner, somebody who is not earning commissions for selling you a policy. I think that's one way that people can get caught up in some life insurance policies that might not be best for their situation in that they're talking with somebody who's earning a commission for selling that policy. So, Back to your original question of term versus whole life, I'll start with term because that's the easiest and it's also the one that we see the most, uh, making the most sense for third decade participants almost all of the time. Now I say almost, there's always caveats, but term life insurance lasts for a certain number of years or a set term. If you don't die during the years set out of the policy, let's say you sign up for a 30 year term life policy when you're 20 years old, If you live until 51, you don't get the benefits of that policy. That policy goes away and you don't get the benefits. So these policies are typically more affordable than other type of life insurance. Um, I'll use my my own example here uh, because I think that might be helpful. When my wife and I had our first kid, we realized, oh, we we need some, some income protection and um, and replacement in case something happens to us. So I I signed up for a term life insurance policy, got a million dollars. So if I die within the terms of the policy, my family will get paid out a million dollars to help with income replacement and retirement savings and things like that. And that cost me $35 a month. Um, now it's variable in terms of how much your, your policy is gonna cost. They come out and they do a quick physical on you Uh, ask you a bunch of health questionnaire stuff. If you smoke, that's going to put the the cost up more. Basically, anything that increases your likelihood of passing away within the policy is going to make the policy a little bit more expensive. 
So someone in their 50s would pay more than someone in their 20s. Definitely. Yes. Okay. And and someone in their 50s might not even get a term life policy. Uh, okay. You, you know, there there is the term uninsurable. Some people might be uninsurable, meaning that they have too many pre-existing conditions, uh, whereas the company themselves deems them uninsurable. They cannot insure them because it's too big of a risk to the company uh, because their likelihood of dying is too hard it's, or too high. It's pretty dark, but it's reality uh, and that people need to know that, that that is a factor. So usually people use term life insurance for income replacement, both a spouse is working and, and you're relying on the income and something happens to them, you can replace it or debt payoff. Um, if, you, if you have a shared debt with somebody and let's say a mortgage, Maybe it's not even a spouse. You share a mortgage with somebody. Something If you rely on that person to pay half of the mortgage and something happens to them, they pass away, you could be underwater on your mortgage. So that's usually what term is used for. Whereas if you have a 30-year mortgage, you could get a 30-year policy to help cover the terms of that mortgage. If you're single and let's say in your 20s and good health, can you do a term life insurance policy and select a sibling or a parent or a friend as a beneficiary? You can, yeah, good, good question. You can select anybody. Um, you, if you're buying a term life insurance policy, you can select anybody to be your beneficiary. And there's contingent beneficiaries as well um, in those policies. We, I think, a good rule of thumb when thinking about term life insurance. Um, and because it's not just for my typical example, you're married with, with kids, right? It is for if you have someone else relying on any source of your income in a big way, it's, it could be a good idea to look at term. So let me say that again. If you have somebody else relying on any source of your income, it, you should start the process of looking at term and getting quotes um, to replace that income for that person. So some people are taking care of parents um, and, and things like that or, or sending money uh, home if, if, they're, if they're not from the U.S. Uh, could be a good idea to look at, to look at term. Uh, people are relying on your income. So that's term, and, and it's really straightforward. It's true life insurance. It's, it's kind of insurance in, in the purest form in that if you – die, you get the payout or your, your family or whoever your beneficiary is gets gets the payout. If you, the death benefit is what it's called. If you don't die during the term, that policy goes away. Now you can extend the policy. Let's say you have a 20 year policy and you get to 15 years and you say, oh, I want this for 15 more years. It is going to be more expensive though. Um, so, so know that. And, and sometimes they might say no. So you can extend them. Can you take out a life insurance policy on somebody else? Yeah, people do all the time. It's it's not um, it's not as common with term life insurance, but yes, there there are times where you, uh, it's, it happens a lot in like the business world. Let's say if you have a a business partner and um, and something happens to them, and you're both invested in this business and stuff. You could say, I'm going to take out life insurance on this person to, to pay out uh, my, my share of the business, uh, stuff like that. So, yes, you can. Um, it's usually best to that person to know and, and, and things like that. Um, yeah, I would feel so to, weird if yeah, I found yeah. out someone else had a life insurance it, policy. That wouldn't happen me. like that. Yeah, it, it, 
it wouldn't happen like that. There are protections in place and stuff uh, okay. to make sure that wouldn't happen. Um, now, now back to whole life, and, and this is a little bit more more complicated, also called ordinary life insurance. It's kind of a little bit, I, I said term is, is the purest form. Whole life is what most people think of when they think life insurance, actually, especially historically. Um, it's exactly how it sounds. You have the policy for your entire life as long as you continue making the premium payments. So you sign up for a certain premium amount and a certain death benefit. So we'll use a million dollar death benefit again as an example. That premium is going to be much higher than uh, your term life insurance premium because it's not for 20, 30 years. It's for your entire life, no matter how long you've lived. So obviously the younger the policy owner is, the less likely they are to die. So the premium should raise the older and older the person gets. That would make it almost impossible to buy life insurance if, and, and really unaffordable. So life insurance companies keeps the premium at a, at a level by charging a premium that in the early years is higher than what's needed to pay the claims of the, of the insurance company. So what they do is they charge you a, a set premium based on your age, based on the death benefit, and that premium is higher. Again, it's, it's much more expensive. Um, and what ends up happening is they invest that money and use it to supplement the level premium to help pay the cost of insurance for older people. So you're, it's called a cash value. So you're paying your premium. Let's say it's a $100 payment that you're making a month towards your premium. Uh, most of that money in the first few years is actually going to go to commissions and fees for the policy. Some of it will go towards the premium itself. And then after a few years, you'll start building up what's called the cash value of the policy. Um, so the difference in the premiums goes to the cash value. It's basically a separate savings account. It's an investment vehicle for some people is, is how to look at it. Um, they typically grow, a study was done into these, typically grow around one and a half to two percent, those cash value plan. So you're, you're paying your premium. Um, that's, that's a higher premium than your death benefit even is. And it's, it's going into a cash value that's growing around one and a half to 2%. I mean, that's, um, that would make me think it's rarely a financially beneficial thing to put your money towards that rather than a stock portfolio that grows 8%. Cause that's, that sounds more like the returns of bonds. Bonds and, and even, you know, they've been compared to some savings account. Um, yeah. So okay. <laughs> uh, so in, in terms of that, it, it is um, if, if the goal is investing for, you know, of that money, um, you're, you're probably better off. You're going to pay less fees, less expenses, investing that money yourself instead of kind of caging that investment within a life insurance policy. I'm guessing you also have more say over how it's invested. Is that right? Yes, 100%. Uh, and a lot of whole life policies, you have no, no say now. I touched earlier on universal life, variable life. Those, you know, you can have say, they, they're sometimes attached to indexes um, in, in the stock market. So let's say there's a, there's a uh, um, variable life policy that is tied to the S&P 500 index. Um, they usually have caps and bottoms on them, but they, they, they could say if, you know, you'll never, if the S&P 500 drops below 20%, you'll, you won't have to pay that. The, the least you can 
lose on this is zero. But if it does 20%, the most you can make on it is 5%. Um, you know, that's just an example. Uh, they're all very different and can get pretty confusing, as I said. But it's good to know in those there are some other options and you might get approached. Again, you're using life insurance as an investment, um, which, you know, it, it, it's a lot cheaper to keep those two things separate. Um, another quick heads up about whole life is so you build up this cash value and it's basically it's it's your money because you're paying the premiums in it. You're you're building up and, and that that pot of money can get can get pretty large because as I said, the difference in the premiums that are needed to pay the policy itself um, versus the premiums going that's that's what's going into the cash value account. Um, if you die, your beneficiaries get the death benefit, right? They get that death benefit that they do not get that cash value. So they get the death benefit, but the cash value goes away because they're saying, well, the cash value is part of the death benefit. So how does the cash value, like why, how can you benefit from having that at all? Is that something you can pull from if you need it? Yeah, you can, you can borrow from it. (laughs) Oh, okay. Borrowing from it for a, uh, a fee um, and, and interest. And you can also another, thing about cash value is once the cash value reaches a certain level, it's actually law that insurers have to give you the option of taking the cash value or continuing on with the policy. Right. So, so you can say, Oh, my, my death benefit was a hundred thousand dollars. Right. And I've been paying on this policy for 20 years and the cash value has risen to $50,000. Instead of continuing to pay on this policy, I'm going to take this cash value and, and dissolve the, the death benefit. Then the death benefit goes away. Um, so you have to compare what's my cash value compared to the death benefit of the policy and make those distinctions um, when making that decision. So, yes, it can get very, very complicated um, and it can seem like, oh, what what's next? What do I do next in terms of in terms of this Um because there is an investing arm to it. And with the investments, again, usually tied to higher fee products and things like that. Yeah. So what happens if you miss a premium payment? Say you go through a period of time where you're unemployed and really struggling. Like what happens to that policy at that point? It depends on the type of policy. And and it depends on, on the rules of that policy. Usually there is some leeway. You have to be you know, you have to communicate and stuff like that. But some I've, I've seen are, are really straight. You miss a payment, that policy is dissolved. And now if you're in a whole life policy, you you get you could get the cash value back, right? Because you're basically dissolving the death benefit. But who knows what that cash value is. And at. it probably would have been worse when it was all said and done than if you had just set aside $100 a month or whatever your payment was and just saved it because you're probably paying fees out of that. Exactly. And, and um, I mean... It depends because if, if you sign up for a whole life policy and at 25 and, and, and you're paying those premiums, although they're a lot higher and you die at 28, unfortunately, uh, you, you are going to get that death benefit and it's a, it's a large death benefit. So there is an insurance aspect to it. Insurance is a part of it. You're getting life insurance. You just would probably be able to get that same, you would be able, not probably, would be able to get that same amount of life insurance. If that's the main goal of the policy is life insurance, you'd be able to get that for a lot cheaper with term. 
um, they're, you know, the kind of rule of thumb, it, it's obviously different because premiums change depending on people, but uh, it's kind of estimated that $7 in premiums for, in, for a term life policy, if you paid $7 for a premium to get a certain death benefit, would cost somebody about $100 for the same death benefit in whole life. So quite a lot more expensive. Wow. Yeah. wow. And, and again, they'll say, well, you get a big portion of that back with the cash value. Um, it takes some time because it, the first few years are usually going to commissions and fees and expenses. Uh, however, um, that difference in premium, some of it will start building up the cash value of the plan. You can see how cash value start start getting up there. That tells me that if... You were saying that your policy is 35 a month for your term life insurance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that would be $500 a month for a whole life policy? For a million dollars in whole life? Yeah, wow. that, that's what those numbers say. You're doing the math right. I have not Yikes. priced out whole life for, uh, you know, I think I was 28 at the time. I got my term life for a 28-year-old um relatively healthy, no long-term conditions or anything like that. I don't, I don't know what that would be, but I do know they are much more expensive. And, and that's what that said. Like, that's kind of a, a rule of thumb. Now, if you're thinking about both, get quotes for both, right. And understand them. Just do not. I think what, what the main thing we're trying to avoid here is, and cause it, it happens a lot. People, um, especially young people, I think, you know, it is a good career and a good job to go and work for a life insurance company after college. And part of their job, it's a sales job. So they're going to reach out to family and friends and people and say, Hey, here's this great policy. Let me tell tell you all of the benefits. We're not Mm -hmm. saying those are bad people whatsoever. Um, It is more that you have to understand what's best for you and you have to, to know all of the different factors and do the research on it. So Mm -hmm. Now, if there was a person that you would say would benefit from whole life, who would that be? I know more often than not, whole life wouldn't be recommended across the board, but I know there are some examples where you would. Who would that be? The argument could be made if you have somebody who's going to rely on your income forever. So like your term never ends in terms of uh, uh, like a disabled child or something like that. Uh, No know that that you would have that benefit forever and and there there is some benefit to that you know for for the standard case like my wife and I we kind of said when our girls turn 18 or in in college um, and a little bit after that we hope to have enough in our accounts and our retirement accounts and stuff like that to be able something happened to one of us to be able to live on a single income um, now, if, if we said we're going to have to rely on one or, or the other's income for the rest of our lives, that's where whole life could come into play. But, you know, also be aware of the different different savings vehicles and stuff like that. Okay. So this could also be then for a spouse who's unable to work indefinitely. Yeah, it could. It Just could. a dependent, a dependent yep, essentially. Yep. Sometimes okay. there, sometimes there as well, if people are, I, I talked to a couple recently where one of them was not insurable. And that was a big, and they were relying on a portion of the income because of some health problem. That was a big risk. Well, part of their financial plan was just saving more into an accessible account, right? We talked about the the cash value earning one and a half to 2%. You can get those amounts by uh, those returns by investing pretty, um, pretty conservatively. 
and just building up a much bigger emergency fund uh, to where hopefully that person lives for a long time and and you've, you've built up that emergency fund. Now, where that gets into an issue is if that person passes away at a young age and now you're, you're losing out on the income. But also it's if you're relying on somebody else's income uh, and they can't work already, that becomes a hard argument, right? So I think that answers most of the questions I have, Scott. I appreciate you going through the the details of this. Um, We'll include a few resources in this episode for anybody looking to learn more about it. But thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you. And and good questions. And I think, again, just for anybody listening, we we stayed really high level here. The, The basics should be, if you're really thinking about this, know that it can be a pretty expensive decision and they're, they're not as, you know, easy to get out of and things like that as well if you if you do make that decision. So go into it knowledgeable and asking questions and upfront uh, just to make sure you're, you're getting what's right for you and your family. Yep. Yep. And read the fine print. <laughs> yeah. Sure. If we've learned anything, it's read the fine print. <laughs> for sure. All righty. All right. Thanks. Have a good week.